0: This is Harney's Offshore Litigation Podcast, my name is Ian Mann, and I am delighted to be joined by my colleague here in Hong Kong, Andrew Johnston. Andrew, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, in. What exciting topic are you about to spring upon me today?
1: <laughs> well, I <laughs> thought we might talk about the decision in CSC C Shanghai, which I'm sure you've read. I have read. A controversial decision? Um, it, is, it is certainly landmark in its own way, but as to whether it's controversial, I would Suggest not. Uh, it seems to me to be rather consistent with established principles of common law recognition. Yeah.
0: And part of the modus operandi of that wonderful Hong Kong judge, Mr. Justice Jonathan Harris, who is really trying to um, use the power of common law recognition, which is probably done better by the Hong Kong courts than anywhere else in the world because of the unique paucity of legislation sure. to ensure that it is
1: practical and has pragmatic effect with our neighbour in the mainland. I mean, absolutely. So, so it is landmark in the sense yeah. that it is the first recognition of a, a mainland office holder mm. using the common law powers in Hong Kong. So, I mean, that it's landmark in that to that mm. extent. What's the test
0: for common law recognition of a foreign insolvency proceeding? Has become actually very similar to the answer trial model law on cross border insolvency. Um, and there was a, another case also supreme tycoon which mm-hmm. the same judge sets all out I and mean, it's got to be a collective insolvency proceeding in a place that sort of makes sense, by which I mean a place it. of incorporation or centre of main interests for the purpose of the Australian yeah, Model Law, yeah. no such thing yeah. in common law, and it's that collective insolvency proceeding has to then use the principle of parapsu distribution. And Actually, that was all pretty uncontentious in, in this particular case. In this case, case absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: the, the bits of the judgment deals with that extremely short. And of course, this is something that Hong Kong's been doing, Jonathan Harris has been doing, for a very long time in Hong yeah. Kong. We've had this yeah. in BVI Cayman Bermuda for, for ages, yeah, yeah. so much so that we've got this sort of standard form Recognition order.
0: Mm. This is a PRC company, administrators, I think they're technically Mm. called the EBL. Why do they come knocking on um, the Hong Kong court's door for recognition? What's the purpose?
1: Uh, They essentially wanted to stop in its tracks a uh, garnishy order, NYSIDE, that had been made. And that had, of course, engaged um, the the contentious decision uh, of uh, of Galbraith, which I think you have some views on. (laughs) <laughs> well, very interesting because, I mean, this case of
0: Galbraith and Grimshaw is, is interestingly um, very similar to the present CFC case. And if, if you told those law lords in 1910 that their case <laughs> would be relied upon in a, in a Hong Kong court... Uh, vis-a-vis uh, mainland Chinese recognition, I'm sure they would be, well, extremely flattered, first <laughs> of all. But I mean, similar facts, because in the case in Hong Kong, it's the creditor of the PRC company obtains judgment and default in Hong Kong, yep. then order nisi in Hong Kong, and then in November 2019, the PRC company is wound up. And it's at that point where the, the mainland mm. administrator is thinking, oh, goodness, I, I must ensure I that in Hong Kong... Race. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that particular clever creditor doesn't then make that Garnishy nice final and essentially improves its position over the, the general class mm. of creditors. And that was exactly what was happening in 1911 in relation to a garnishing nice in England following a judgment in England and then a Scottish um, insolvency which is called under Scotch law the sequestration but in that particular case the law lords um, ruled the opposite as to what Mr Justice Jonathan Harris has mm. ruled and they say no no this case is actually it is not possible to allow the Scottish sequestration to be recognised and take effect to mean that we cannot make the Order of Nice Life final okay. because they're too late. Yeah. And in any event, Lord Lawburn goes on to say, if we could help, it would be on the basis of the relation back period, sure. uh, that general rule that the bankruptcy or insolvency takes place at the time of the presentation of the petition, not when it's heard, and that in itself is fairly arbitrary and relation back is not something that we can recognise under the then Bankruptcy Act 1883.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so it becomes a really technical argument about whether or not the relation back period is important. Now, interesting, I, I actually did go to the source materials and read the interesting observations in a Privy Council case called Alciban Group Taurus, which I'm sure everyone will be familiar <laughs> with, and they quote the late Professor Ian Fletcher, who says Galbraith and Grimshaw, those law lords in 1910, were being a bit disingenuous, because on the one hand, they don't grant the relief, but later on, Lord Dunedin says, now, so far as the general principle is concerned, it's quite consistent with the comity of nations that it should be a rule of international law that of court finds." There is already a pending a process of universal distribution of a bankrupt estate. It should not allow steps to be taken in its territory, which would interfere with that process of universal distribution. I mean, it almost sounds like it went on (laughs) (laughs) and allowed it. I mean, um, neatly done. I suppose suppose if you're a law lord, you can uh, you can do that. So I think he's probably fair in saying it was a disingenuous disingenuous, decision to that extent. But in in their defence, they are dealing with early 19th century... (laughs) It's not really Uh, sort
1: of comparable to the the new order of modified universalism Mm. that we all see now.
0: Is it as simple as that? I mean, what is Mr Justice Jonathan Harris, how does he get away with
1: disagreeing with with the House of Lords case? Uh, Well, I mean, both on the sort of basis that things move on. Um, but also there's a, that New South Wales Supreme Court uh, decision in UBASE which is extremely authoritative and, and, mm. and I think I, I would have thought we would all agree that, that the decision is actually clearly right clearly right and pragmatic and of course in the Australian case
0: the learner judge there says well you know granting um, an order absolute uh, garnish-y, absolute is always a matter of discretion anyway sure, sure. and the law has never said I couldn't accept. absolutely yeah. Yeah. But where it's presented before the, yeah. the, the, the appointment and so this Decision of CFC allows the mainland liquidation to take place, and that creditor in Hong Kong isn't, doesn't have a special fast track right to the to the assets. Yeah. Yeah. That, that liquidator would then prove he still gets to prove in the mainland liquidation. Sure, right sure, 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 sure.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I mean, probably what what people would expect. Absolutely. I mean, and and very much to be welcomed, um, and mm-hmm. particularly given the amount of cross border transactions between the mainland and Hong Kong, it, it's great for all of us. I thought. Mm-hmm which leads on to the the additional question then sure. of whether that will be extended to the other jurisdictions, which deal a lot with Hong Kong and the mainland, namely BVI and Cayman. Oh, I thought we were going to keep this simple. You had yeah. to, to throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> so what would happen? Should we start with, with the BVI? The BVI position is is a, it's a bit complex. Um, we might need to turn it into Take 20 rather than Take 10 to, to <laughs> get to the bottom of that. Um, our producer is shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> and our listeners too, I think. Um, so uh, the position of the BVI is that the cross-border recognition uh, provisions in Part 18 of the Insolvency Act have never been brought into force. There is a, a sort of ad hoc power in part nineteen to grant orders at the request of a foreign liquidator. And these, these are just orders in aid. They don't, they don't formally reference. So please can you t- yeah. get the books and records turned over? Can you stop this action so on and so forth? And
0: bizarrely, that's the position the House of Lords was in in Galbraith and Grimshaw eighteen eighty three. It was just a sort of, you know, but it's not relief
1: It's not the generalized recognition that we we yeah. come to see, for example, in CFC yeah. Shanghai. The problem with Part 19 is it only applies to nine jurisdictions, only representatives appointed in nine jurisdictions, which include such useful places as Hong Kong and and, and the US, Finland perhaps less commonly used. Um, But only from those jurisdictions, and it doesn't include the PRC. So a PRC appointee cannot go to the BVI court and and use the powers under Part 19. Even
0: though the PRC, according to the CEFC case, has Mm. a collective insolvency process under the EBL that could be deployed and and should be recognised under common law principles.
1: So then the the sort of difficult question behind it all is, does there subsist in the BVI a common law recognition? similar to the CFC Shanghai and, and, and all of the cases we know love on that. Mm. And, and there are two conflicting first-instance decisions of the same judge wow. on that point in BVI. Justice Bannister, first of all, found in, um, in one of the Madoff cases yeah. um, that there was no subsisting common law power. It had been kind of done away with as a result of the Insolvency Act. Then was invited to, to correct himself in a, in a later 2013 case called Reece C. When he did say, well, he was slightly wrong. What a courageous thing to say. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay. uh, but he was only but, wrong uh, to the extent that it's, uh, there was a common law power for those jurisdictions which had been carved out in Part 19. Mm. So those same nine countries.
0: And in fact, that second case, after the Owen Picard case, that second yeah. case was a Hong Kong bankruptcy trustee, wasn't Correct. it? That it was a for Bannister's assistance. Absolutely right. yeah. absolutely right. Um, so they were, they were a designated person. So what you're saying is that the common law power of recognition that Mr Justice Jonathan Harris
1: relied upon may not be available to us in the BBI? The current law says no, um, but I would like to hope that it's up for grabs, actually. Um, I think there's a pretty good argument that the reading um, Justice the had of, of, of Part 19 is too restrictive. Yeah. Um, doesn't apply to recognition. So I think it's all up for grabs. If anyone wants, wants to try and extend CFC Shanghai, it's definitely the movement of, of travel. So that sort of principle, that sort of you know, Benian statutory
0: interpretation principle that if a statute deals with something, mm. then of course the common law doesn't apply. Sure. But you're saying actually that parts of the BVI acts that are enforced don't apply to recognition absolutely. generally, the they just is relief. The, absolutely,
1: yeah. Part 18 is the recognition, but that's nice. not enforced.
0: Well, you're giving all away your best arguments for the Court of Appeal, it seems. <laughs> now, what would be the position in the Cayman Islands? So,
1: Cayman's much more straightforward. Uh, the, really, uh, foreign companies there is a statutory provision for okay. recognition um, in uh, Part Seventeen of the company's Law, yeah. um, and for for Cayman companies there is a, a common law power, uh, much like the mm. Hong Kong uh, common law recognition. So. The Cayman position is much more straightforward.
0: So, in this case, part 17 of the Cayman Companies Law would apply because CEFC was a a PRC company. Correct. You go through that route. Absolutely. Well, that'd be quite satisfying for foreign solvency practitioners to to, to look at that and say, well, there's something codified for me to refer to. Well, exciting times. Um, We wait for you to lead
1: this particular area of law in the offshore jurisdictions, Andrew. I'm delighted to do so.